Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Folks, I am more confident than I have been in a while that we are going to start a college football season this fall. I'm not crazy confident we'll finish it, and I suspect there will be plenty of bumps along the way, but we're going to play some football pretty soon, I think. To that end, the AP released its preseason top 25, and it was weird, which is only fitting in this season and this year. The AP asked voters to consider all the teams, even the ones that have already postponed their seasons for the preseason rankings. When the season starts, those teams will go away. To talk about ranking teams in a time of extreme uncertainty, I bring on Matt Brown, college football editor at The Athletic and an AP voter. We'll get into how he went about ranking teams. We'll try to preview the season, what remains of the season, and consider what happens to the polls when only 60% of FBS is playing. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find this podcast on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you like to get your podcast. Please subscribe. And if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is Matt Brown from The Athletic, college football editor and AP Top 25 voter, one of the most diligent, thorough, and uh, knowledgeable voters we have. So that's one of the reasons why I like to have Matt on. Not just now, but often throughout the season, but especially now because the AP poll just came out the other day. We are 24 hours away from the release of that, and it was a little weird because the AP decided that we were going to just rank all the teams. We were going to tell our voters, rank them all, regardless of whether they're playing or not. And then when the regular season starts, we will start ranking only teams that are playing. So Matt, The first thing I'll ask you is, well, the first thing I want to ask you is how you're enjoying Tuscaloosa, because Matt just moved from one iconic college football town in State College, Pennsylvania, to another in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So first of all, how's the move going? The move could not have gone better, uh, but it's definitely a little strange, you know, because we're not like going out and like experiencing the town. (laughs) Like I've been in Tuscaloosa for two weeks, but we're not really doing anything because of the pandemic and... uh, Numbers have not been very good on campus either, so things are good. Our house is good, uh, but looking forward to experiencing Tuscaloosa in maybe a better environment in the next year or so, hopefully. (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, So, uh, again, when the poll came out, uh, you knew what was coming. You voted in it. But when when I sent that email a couple of weeks ago, and just so people understand, I do not vote in the poll. Folks like Matt. And other sports writers and sportscasters do, 62 of them. We pick the voters. We count the votes here at the AP, but we do not vote. I did not make that decision unilaterally to just determine like how we were going to do the poll this year. My bosses ultimately make that decision. I advise them. They ask for my opinion. I say, hey, what do you think we should do? So it was my opinion. I will say this. It was my opinion that we should take the approach that we did, which is like, listen, none of these teams are guaranteed to play anything this year, even though I think more and more there's a chance that we will see games. So let's just open it up to everything and sort of give people, I feel like 
you know, listen, it's the storyteller in me also sort of took over. I feel like everything about the the college football season will be sort of uh, a story of what was lost, what was salvaged, and what we what we maybe created from the wreckage. So to me, this was a way to tell that tale and to sort of tell people, here's what we thought we were going to get. When the season starts, we'll try a different approach. That's a long-winded way of me saying, what did you think of that approach? And you can tell me I'm wrong, Matt. Feel free to tell me, like, I thought this was stupid. But what did you think of that approach? My opinion was there was no correct answer, which I think is an opinion I have a lot about the AP poll when I'm a voter and I'm trying to figure out who's number two or number four. Sometimes there's no perfect answer. And as infuriating as that can be, I think that (laughs) definitely applies here. Um, I, I think it, you know... In my column on The Athletic, I laid out what I think my ballot would have looked like if I included only the teams that are actually playing this fall. And, uh, you know, I didn't really love, you know, voting for Pitt and Louisiana Lafayette and, you know, Florida State this year in my ballot. So I don't know. I I think I probably lean toward agreeing with what you guys ultimately decided um, because, you know, as much as anybody, I use the AP poll kind of as a poll of record historically and like to line things up. And um, I don't know. I do kind of like the story. I like how you framed it and telling the story of what was lost, what will be salvaged. Um, so I don't know. I, I still liked going through and applying what happened in this preseason poll and comparing it to past ones. And it's the only poll that we'll be able to really compare to past ones because we had all the teams in it. So ultimately, I, I don't think there's a great answer, but I, I'm fine with the way it played out. Let's also ask this question. Uh, there's a lot of them poll related <laughs> that, that we have to get to here. And that is with this odd season. Now, you now Matt's job is, a, is as an editor at The Athletic. And that's not to say that, you know, your offseason hasn't been, I'm sure, completely turned upside down, too, but in a little bit of a different way in that, like, I think for some people who are more along the lines of the reporting end, I don't even know if they've had the opportunity to, like, crack open their Phil Steele. You may have had a little more opportunity to do that because you're not in sort of the weeds of the day-to-day, like, chasing down the stories. But again, you're still in that process. So how much have you been able to prepare for a season the way you normally would in in, in the way that you want to learn about the teams? Again, that's one of the reasons why I like to bring Matt on here, because he takes sort of responsibility to sort of learn a lot about all the teams, to cover all of college football as much as that's possible. So how much did your summer, was your summer routine upended by the fact that we're chasing down whether they're going to play or not? Yeah, I don't want to like undercut my so-called expertise here going, you know, on a podcast in which we're kind of previewing the season. But I think I'm in the same boat as probably most people who cover the sport for a living, which I feel less prepared than ever or like less prepared than I have in a long time, just because of the way the season, the off season played out where it's just, you know, I'm not necessarily chasing the news myself, but I'm still editing people Mm -hmm. writing about, you know, just the possibility of there not being, football and you know even in you go back to the start of the pandemic when spring practice got canceled in in march and april and and, in may and june you know we like everybody else had to pivot and kind of do some kind of evergreen type stories we did some historical stuff which is in my wheelhouse i love doing that but it kind of made the off season a little bit different in that respect so 
you know, we didn't have spring practice and all the position battles and all that kind of stuff to report on. You know, even now it was a question of when is preseason practice going to begin? Um, there was no media days and not that I learn a lot necessarily from media days, but it's just the flow of the off season has been completely disrupted and we've spent pretty much all of the time talking about will they play? Should they play? If they play, how is it going to work and not how is it actually going to play out? Uh, so I'm prepared. There's fewer teams to prepare for now, right. uh, except in doing the preseason poll. And we're, we're down to, as of this recording, 76 teams in the FBS as opposed to 130. Uh, but definitely less prepared than usual. Uh, it's just been a very, very strange feeling. It does not feel like, you know, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday the 25th. It does not feel like the college football season in the FBS starts nine days from now. It really doesn't. We, it's funny, in the, in the reporting business and this side of the business, we often complain about access and talk about how you don't really get a whole lot of information at this. At, you know, spring practice is limited with access, so you're only getting you know trickles of information. And media days have become more uh, TV events, uh, so the actual gathering of really good information is limited at those events as well. So often as reporters, we sort of like think of them as like they have no value. And I do wonder if there's any value left in media days. But I think what we're noticing now is if you remove those things, if you remove spring practice and you remove media days, you don't even get a trickle of of information. You don't even get a, a little nugget here and there. It's really barren. And I think those are the things that and plus it also sort of inspires you to seek out more information, I think, is the other part of it, too. Yes. Right. Again, it, it's the flow of the off season that sort of uh, makes you drawn towards gathering information. So the little trickles of information that you might get otherwise having drawn, uh, dried up, it really does. It makes you feel like very much like what is going on here and like who are these teams? Yeah, there's a rhythm to the whole college football calendar that we're just we fall into routines every year. And I I do that in my preparations. Usually in July, I'm pouring over every team's schedule. I'm literally making predictions for every game so I can have ac- actual projected standings for the entire country. And in that process, I learn a lot about teams and who they're playing and when they're playing them and form stronger opinions about the teams. Uh, but we don't I mean, it's like a week before the season. We don't even have a definite schedule now <laughs> so yeah, it's like right. i haven't been able to do that you know and even if i wasn't you mentioned that i moved from pennsylvania to to, to alabama it's been a eventful past couple months personally which you know may, maybe that would have disrupted my uh you know preparation a little bit but i feel like even if i didn't have all of that going on i would still feel the same way just everything being disrupted and it's just there's no been no routine you know we're just wondering if they're going to play and you know, a lot of the top players have opted out. And then even after they opted out, their season got canceled anyway. And it's just kind of a mess. And if football actually happens safely, uh, even if it's only 76 teams, I'm going to be very, very thankful for that. Let's talk about the preseason poll a little bit here. And that is, I think you had number one was Clemson. Uh, no. Fair, fair, well, I'm just saying on on on, on, on the okay. AP poll. Yes, I'm sorry. So in the AP poll, number one was Clemson. Number two was Ohio State. Three, yes. Alabama. Four, Georgia. Five, Oklahoma. Six, LSU. It, it's become essentially those teams. I mean, I think those those 
that handful of teams has really separated itself from the rest of the country over the last couple of years. On your ballot, you had Ohio State as number one, you know, again, which is going to pour some salt in the wounds of Ohio State and and Big Ten fans, seeing that they were a close number two, knowing that so many people thought that they could be number one. They they received 21 first-place votes. That's a lot of first-place votes for a non-number one team. I think it was most... Uh, since I think 2008, but I, I may have to double check that. Um, anyway, why, you know, again, it, it seems like why even bother having this conversation, but I feel like it's worthy. Like why, why Ohio state number one? Yeah. And why I actually had Clemson three. I ended up, you can call me a Homer now, I guess I had Alabama <laughs> number two. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I've been a voter for four years and I've been ranking teams since I was like six years old, uh, and I feel like this is one of the toughest preseason decisions for number one. Uh, I think you could make make a case for all three of those teams. And it, it does feel strange that Alabama was like almost an afterthought in that conversation. I mean, they, I think they have three first place votes, uh, but I think they're worthy. They just don't have the big name quarterback coming back like Clemson and Ohio State would have. Uh, but, you know, I went with I think Ohio State's might is going to be stronger on the line of scrimmage than Clemson. Clemson's very good on the defensive line, but question marks on the offensive line, you know, with Justin Ross at receiver being out. I, I know that Clemson can reload and has a million weapons. They're going to have a million weapons. They have ETN back as well. I just like Ohio state on overall at the line of scrimmage better just because they should have one of the better offensive lines in the country. I think fields is neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence in terms of best Heisman candidate, best all America candidate. If he was playing, um, you know, Ohio State has plenty of weapons around him, getting Trey Sermon in as a running back transfer from Oklahoma. And they just Clemson's recruited at a ridiculous level. They've uh, developed talent as well as anybody better than anybody, probably. But Ohio State's recruited even better, um, kind of at a level with Alabama and Georgia. So all add it all up. I gave Ohio State a very, very, very slight edge. But my margin from number one to number three really couldn't have been closer. And I, if you would have ranked any of those teams, number one, I wouldn't disagree. I don't disagree with Clemson being number one in the actual poll. I'm not surprised. Uh, But I decided to go with the Buckeyes. Let's throw it to a team that we know is at least scheduled to play in in the fall that you didn't mention here. That is, has definitely established itself as in that group, but maybe, but because they haven't accomplished the things that the other teams have, which is naturally winning national championships, we have put them just outside that group. But when you start looking at the rosters, they stack up very well, and that's Georgia. You know, again, it's hard to even like get myself into the mode of like I was gonna, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about picking Georgia as the national champion because it's just like, what is a national championship this year? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, but but I have been sort of leaning towards. Well, I, you know, I I think Georgia is going to do this one year. I think there's going to be a year where Georgia is going to win one of these national championships. They're just recruiting at the level that allows you the opportunity to do it. When you were sort of summing up Georgia and trying to give it a, a, an idea of like what that what this could be for Georgia, what maybe was the thing that kept you from saying, okay, they're also in this group. I need to consider them as a possible number one. I'm going to fully acknowledge that this could turn out to be my most regrettable preseason ranking. I put Georgia at seven, mm-hmm. uh, which I could very much look foolish doing that. Uh, I had Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Uh, I was bought into Oregon again, which isn't actually playing, but I bought into their defense and, and um, skill positions. I had LSU sixth, which 
I don't think it should be necessarily controversial, but it is. They are in a kind of a strange place as a defending national champion outside the top five. That hasn't happened since 2011 Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had Georgia seventh. And I don't know. I think it's just kind of a wait and see to see what the offense actually looks like. Uh, the criticism of the offense last year, they're going to have a new play caller this year. Um, you know, the offensive line was a big strength. It's kind of been wiped out by departures. You know, they only have. I think three starters back on offense. Now that number doesn't really tell the whole story because, you know, they have, you know, five-star recruit Zamir White, who's probably going to be starting running back. You know, you have George Pickens, a rising star receiver, you know, Jamie Newman, uh, whether, whether it's Jamie Newman or JT Daniels, you have a talented quarterback who has started games mm-hmm. at a high level. So three returning starters doesn't really tell the whole story there. The defense is going to be one of the best in the country. I have little doubt about that. Uh, but, just kind of a wait and see approach, I think, on offense was was my attitude. But while fully fully acknowledging that this team has recruited at a level high enough to win the national championship and could make me look somewhat foolish. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Again, I I've been my my go to line on this show over the last year or so has been I think it's inevitable that Georgia will win a national championship. Because you again, you just can't recruit. I agree, this. Yeah. You, you just can't recruit at this one year. It's going to work out, right? One year they're going to they're going to get the bounces. They're going to win the close game. They're going to beat Alabama, and it, again, it's just going to all work in their favor. Because when you're recruiting at that level, I think that's that's just the case. You're right. I think there is also a fair amount of uncertainty between. Well, really, it, it actually speaks to this, too. And maybe we'll concentrate this a little more on, I don't know if you have a clear answer to this, but these, this idea that, and we'll, we'll just try to focus on the teams that we know are playing. <laughs> so right, a team like Georgia could be one of those teams where you look at and say, not having had a regular offseason is one of the things that holds it back. When you have new coordinator making what we assume will be fairly drastic changes to an offense plus new quarterback. I think any any team with combination of new coordinators and new quarterbacks to me would seem to be at a disadvantage. Now sure. I don't know if there was anything any other ones on your list of teams that maybe you thought that with, but I, I would think that that could be a problem coming into this season for the teams that do play. And here, you know, I'm going to back up my bold prediction here or make a bold prediction to back up my number seven ranking. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say Georgia loses at Alabama, which that's not a bold prediction. And considering no former Nick Saban assistant has beaten him yet. The next week they go at Kentucky. I'm going to say they lose that game too, get upset and end up uh, eight and two because I like Kentucky more than most. I had Kentucky, I think, 20th on my ballot and think they're going to get somebody this year. So. That that's the somewhat bold prediction I'm going to go with to kind of justify ranking Georgia seventh. Let's talk about some of the teams that maybe you liked a little better than the rest, and maybe we'll do that with uh, teams that showed up on your ballot that weren't in the top twenty-five. And again, we'll, let's start with the ones that are actually going to be playing because there may be some ones that aren't. And Kentucky, I thought was an interesting one too. Kentucky jumped out to me as, you know, again, and I don't vote, but it jumped out to me as a team that I probably would have tried to squeeze into the bottom of my poll as opposed to maybe a Utah, which is ranked this year. But who else other than Kentucky did you find yourself thinking like, uh, or were you ahead of the the crowd on? Texas probably again, uh, which I might regret. I've regretted it before. (laughs) I regretted it last year and people 
right? Always in the comments, why Texas, why Texas? They haven't done anything. Eventually, they're going to have <laughs> a better season than expected. They did a couple years ago. Um, the hype was probably premature last year just because they lost so much from that Sugar Bowl team. But they were still a good team. They were still a team that ended up clinging to the, the bottom of the top 25. Um, you know, they beat Utah decisively in the Alamo Bowl. And again, we don't want to make too much out of a bowl game. We've done that before. We've done that before with Texas. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I just think, you know, they've recruited well. Um, you got Sam Ellinger back as a senior. You have just a much more experienced team than it was a year ago. I think you have 16 returning starters. The defense should be in much better shape. Defense was really young last year. They played a lot of tight games last year. They kind of broke both ways for them. Uh, but I, I think... I think they are capable of challenging Oklahoma for the Big 12 title this year. Um, I had them 10th on my ballot, and they were 14th. So not a huge difference, but to have them as a top 10 team is you know, a notable uh, notable opinion. I think I might have had them 4th and bought way in last year and definitely regretted that. But um, probably like Texas more. I liked USC a little bit more. Obviously, they aren't actually playing, so it doesn't matter. So I think those are the main ones that might stick out. Kentucky, you know, we touched on a little bit. I just like the way that they've been built. I like that they have an identity. I I think their offensive line is one of the best in the country. I think their defensive front should be very, very good. And I I just think that they have a clear vision of what they should be. And, you know, we saw last year they won eight games, which is an accomplishment at Kentucky. They won eight games with a wide receiver basically like running like almost – a 1920s offense. Right. Like yeah. basically so, a wing T. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think those are the teams that probably stick out the most to me looking at my ballot. Um, you know, there were some I didn't have, you know, Minnesota, I didn't have on my ballot who, again, they're not actually playing Utah. I didn't have on my ballot. Uh, so those were probably the ones that, that stick out the most. Auburn, I was a little lower also than the actual poll. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to stick too much on teams that aren't, that might not play at all this year, but the Minnesota one I thought was interesting. Uh, obviously Rashad Bateman. That definitely played into it. <laughs> yeah, opting out. And again, now they might not play at all. But if they do play in the spring, I still thought that Minnesota could. And again, they, they may end up playing a season in the in the winter. The more and more I hear about it, it actually sounds like it might be a pretty cool idea. Right. Um, that if they had, were smart enough to have rolled that out with the cancellation announcement, that they might have actually been able to avoid some of their the, the stress that they've been having because it might have blunted some of the bad PR if they would have had a good plan in place playing some of these domes. Uh, we'll get more a little more on that later. But um, uh, the Minnesota thing I thought was interesting in that. You know, there's still a ton of talent coming back on that offense, mm-hmm. a ton of offensive line. And, you know, their their DNA is sort of built around sort of bludgeoning people, even though they had these great receivers last year. So, I, yeah, I thought, I thought uh, you know, Fleck and crew were in, were in position to maybe not replicate last year because they, they did get some fortunate luck early in the season and were exposed yep. a little bit on the back end. But I did – my sense was that this was a season where – they maybe took a a step back in record, but we're actually almost as good a team. I think that's possible. Look, you and I think it's a legit critique that I I could have had them in the top twenty five easily. Um, but you mentioned it. You know, there were six and one in close games last year. Can be a red flag for the next season. Now, a bunch of those were stacked up early in the year. They got better after that kind of shaky yep. non conference play, but won a bunch of close games. Um, you know, they lose two 1,000 yard receivers now with Bateman gone, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Um, defensive line a little thin as well. Defensive front thin. 
you know, their offensive line gives them a great foundation. Obviously, Tanner Morgan had a fantastic year. And if you have a veteran, successful quarterback returning behind one of the best, most experienced offensive lines in the country, that's a great foundation. But just with the playmakers going on the perimeter, the questions in the defensive front, and also the offensive coordinator change. Uh, they lost Kirk Sharaka to Penn State. And you know, I think kind of the jury is out on whether Mike Sanford is the answer as the new offensive coordinator. So a little, little skeptical there. Mm-hmm. I just think, uh, obviously, P.J. Fleck is a great coach, has put uh, good coaches around him, done a tremendous job there. I just could see them, re- if this was a n- normal year, I could easily see them regressing to like eight and four, which ordinarily is a pretty good year for Minnesota. I think that even won Jerry Killo kind of strange coach of the year a few years ago. <laughs> right. um, so, but that, that's kind of where I think I would have had them was probably about an eight and four, nine and four, maybe with the bowl game type team this year, if they were playing a normal schedule. Let me jump back to Clemson for a second, because I realized when we did our ACC preview, we didn't really d- dig into Clemson because I sort of figured, well, when we do our national preview, we'll talk about Clemson. So this <laughs> sort of qualifies as our national preview. So let's talk about Clemson a little more. And, you know, when Ohio State out of the picture now and some rebuilding going on at LSU, again, I like Georgia a lot. But again, there's some questions at Georgia as far as like, will all the newness come together without an off season? So it, it really is very it's very simple to sort of close your eyes and imagine, oh, we're going to just do this Clemson-Alabama thing again. Yes. I think we're, we're sort of heading towards that, as you referenced in your uh, in your column. When you give a look at the Clemson roster, you mentioned a little bit up front. Is there any other place where you, where you look at Clemson and think, I, I worry about them here, or maybe they are less than they have been in past years there? They very much look like they should be as good as ever. Yeah, I mean— Look, comparatively, especially in the ACC, like they're just head and shoulders above every team, mm-hmm. pretty much at every position. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, like talking about, you know, quarterback changes, staff changes, you know, even with losing Jeff Scott, Clemson still has as good a continuity as anybody. You know, you still have Tony Elliott as the offensive coordinator. You still have Dabo Sweeney. You still have Brent Venables. You have a, a staff and a culture that's kind of just been in, in place and been very consistent and then when you throw in, you've got Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, looked like a senior as a freshman quarterback um, and is just a tremendous leader for that team. And so you add all that up. And of course, Clemson is a great position to win whatever the national championship looks like this year. And they've recruited, you know, they, they've I would say they've developed talent better than anybody because they weren't if you looked at the recruiting rankings, they weren't recruiting at the same level as Ohio State. Georgia, Alabama, they're recruiting very, very well, but not at the same level. And now the recruiting has picked up two. So you add all that up and, you know, there's the offensive line is a slight concern to me. And that's why I had them behind Ohio State and and Alabama, too, which I think both of those teams are are more proven on the offensive line. Um, But, you know, even without Justin Ross, even without Xavier Thomas, this is still a great, great, great team that's recruited great talent is going to find receivers to surround Trevor Lawrence with still has Travis Etienne uh, should be, you know, excellent on the defensive line. So all things considered, there's nothing I'm really concerned about with Clemson, especially given um, the all ACC schedule for the most part, they're going to play. I I think they're well positioned to kind of blow out most of the competition in the ACC, even if, you know, I think Notre Dame is going to be very good. I think Louisville is on an upward trajectory. You know, there, there's teams with talent, Virginia Tech experience, 
Florida State and Miami have talent on their rosters. It's not like Clemson's going to be unbeatable, and North Carolina is certainly on the upswing as well. So it's not like Clemson's unbeatable, but they are still head and shoulders talent-wise above everybody else in the conference. Yeah, are what is your uh, sense of the North Carolina uh, Mac Brown hype train? Are are you on board? I'm buying in. I'm buying in. <laughs> okay. I I had. I had North Carolina 15th on my ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're 18th in the AP poll. So yeah, I'm a little bit, a little bit better. Slightly ahead of the pack. Yeah. Um, but I am buying in. I, it, it, maybe it's a year early. I don't know. They were seven and six last year. This is a program that has felt like an underachiever for a long time. Uh, they've only finished in the AP poll once since Mac Brown's last season in his previous stint in 1997, which is pretty remarkable. They were 15th in 2015. So that's it. Um, it's been an underachiever. They've been, that was the only year they appeared in the top 10 during the season since 97. So there's still a lot to prove, but you have, I think Mac Brown surrounded himself with an excellent coaching staff. I think we kind of saw that, you know, right away, you know, and they're backing it up on the recruiting trail, but you look at Sam Howell, 38 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 3,600 yards as a freshman last year. You know, they have pretty much everybody back. Um, you know, they had 2,000-yard receivers last year, 1,000-yard running back. Um, defense is probably not as – is probably maybe a step behind the offense, but still, you know, Chaz Surratt's proven to kind of be a revelation as the quarterback turned into a linebacker. You know, they're experiencing the secondary. So you add it all up. I mean, this is a pretty talented roster with a very, very, very promising quarterback and a good coaching staff. So, um, you know, Mac Brown had some flaws, of course, toward the end of his Texas tenure, but you know, he's always been a great CEO type coach. He's surrounded himself with a good staff and, you know, Texas had a lot of quarterback problems. North Carolina doesn't have a quarterback problem now. So I am buying into the Tar Heels. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see how much they jump off of last year's because they, they were also another team that lost some close games last year. So you tend to think that maybe that'll flip a little bit. Yeah. They played a million close games. It was like the most dramatic team to follow last year. Yeah. They were, they were tons of fun, even if it didn't always work out well for Mac and his team. I am talking with Matt Brown from the athletic, uh, an AP top 25 voter and one of the most diligent ones I would say in the country. So when you started pulling out and giving yourself a sneak peek and your readers a sneak peek of what the poll will look like once essentially sort of the second preseason poll, and just for logistics sake here, as of right now, the AP is looking at starting our regular season voting. And this is probably news to you, Matt, because I don't even know if I've sent out the email yet on the weekend of September 12th. So the first, I think I saw you tweet it. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I think the first, the first regular season poll will be September fourteenth, Monday. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, se- September thirteenth, Sunday, September thirteenth. Now, normally we would have probably voted uh, after Labor Day, but Labor Day is, has a little bit of a week zero feel this yeah. year. Now there are some more. There's some games piling up there. I, I first looked like there was going to be four or five. Now I think we're up to about eight or nine. There could still be a change and we might still go after Labor Day, but I'm pretty sure that we're thinking we will start voting on the regular season poll after what would be week two of the regular season. So that's not going to be a whole ton of information. Now, the ACC plays a bunch of games, conference games that weekend. The Big 12 has a a bunch of non-conference games. Most of them will be fairly inconsequential. 
uh, Texas Tech, you know, Houston Baptist, I don't think is really going to be one that's going <laughs> to that's going to move the polls much. You um, never know this year. <laughs> but then again, you never know this year. So with that said, when you start looking at your poll without the teams that are going to drop out of the poll, be once because you because you're not going to be allowed to vote for the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, the MAC or the Mountain West, what did you find then? What what did what was some of the ones where you were like, "Wow, that's a top 25 team." How how about that? So I think the biggest reactions were one, the SEC is going to like dominate the top 10 if you like take out the Pac-12 and Big 10. The SEC, you know, they don't change much in terms of the number of top 25 teams, but I think on my revised ballot, I had five teams in the top 10. Um, so yeah, from the SEC. Um, so that will obviously going to, it's going to cause people to groan because it always does. But what are you going to do? The Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't playing this year. Um, but then the biggest beneficiaries seem to be the ACC because they have a lot of like top 40 type teams in like if, if everybody was playing um, you know, this is a conference that had one team finish in the top 25 last year in Clemson. And now you add Notre Dame to the mix. So you have three preseason top 25 teams with Clemson, North Carolina and Notre Dame. But then I added Louisville, Virginia Tech, Miami, Florida State and Pitt to my, my revised top 25. And I know you can't go necessarily into the others receiving votes of the actual poll and, and show what it would definitely look like. But you can see some of the teams that might pop up into the AP poll by looking at who else people voted for. And it's some of the same teams, Louisville, Virginia Tech, Miami, Virginia are hanging around getting votes. So it looks like the ACC is going to be the like big winner of the conference that suddenly has a bunch of teams stacked up in the top 25 versus finishing with one last year. Um, and then the other one, I think, is the American as the top group of five conference. Suddenly it's the fourth best conference in college football this fall. And we saw a bunch of teams kind of hang around in the bottom of the top 25 from the American last year. And then, not surprisingly, what happens is they fall out. Uh, UCF and Cincinnati are in the actual poll this year, but Memphis isn't even in it. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're going to see teams like, you know, those top teams, UCF, Cincinnati, and, and Memphis are going to be obvious candidates, but like, I considered SMU when I was thinking about my revised ballot. You know, you never know which year Navy's going to, if they find a quarterback, they, you know, go nine and two when they're suddenly in the mix. So like, I, I like think the American last year, is going to have yeah. increased attention on it this year. Yeah. And you also had, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you mentioned this, I, I got distracted by, because that's what happens when, because these days there's so much news and there isn't, there is not, not a big breaking okay. news story. <laughs> so just so you have to know, but you get distracted by something that you think might be news or like somebody texts you. I've had this a couple of times on the podcast where all of a sudden I realize I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not listening to the person I'm interviewing, but I don't know if you had mentioned Louisiana. Which you had at the bottom of your top twenty-five, uh, you know, a really good Sun Belt team who I think opens the year at Iowa State on September twelfth. Interesting. interesting game. <laughs> yeah, which you know, again, that September twelfth date that is one of the few really interesting games that got added onto the Big Twelve schedule. Now, of course, we would like to have seen Iowa State play Iowa like it, like we would in a normal year, but again, that that's a pretty interesting little little uh, battle there. Louisiana Lafayette has. And and they like to be called Louisiana, but uh, they have two like NFL caliber running backs. I mean, this is yes. like a legitimately good a fun team. Yeah, it's a legitimately good Sun Belt team. So that's a, a one to watch early in the season. And again, I think you we will have 
there'll be a lot more of those earlier in the season. I think, generally speaking, voters tend to uh, make the group of five teams earn it a little more. Uh, mm-hmm. A little more onus on, like, hey, like we need to see you do it again and again and again. Just as you said, like, it's a lot of those teams end up uh, they 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 rise throughout the season. They're there at the end, but then the next season doubt sets in and they end up disappearing until they have to prove it again. Might not have been be fair, but that's sort of the way things work with the poll. My guess is you will see a few more of those teams surging and being more in the mix at the start of this year, only because there's not a lot of teams to pick from. Yeah. And Louisiana Lafayette, I mean, I had them 25th on my revised ballot. So it's like one of the craziest things looking at the poll coming out is, okay, based on who's actually playing, there is not a matchup of AP top 25 teams until October 3rd yeah, uh, when you eliminate you know all the games that were canceled and all that, all the teams that aren't playing. I think there's three on the third, two in the SEC, Alabama A&M, Auburn, Georgia, and I think there might be one in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Iowa State, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But now we mentioned suddenly Louisiana Lafayette, Iowa State, which ordinarily would be like, that's an intriguing game somebody like me would, you know, put on a third screen <laughs> right, right now it becomes like that's actually going to be one of the most interesting games of that day <laughs> that's uh, true. and that's true you know it's a matchup of teams that are on my revised ballot that would be top 25 teams if we didn't vote for um teams like ohio state who aren't actually playing so it, it's weird to add intrigue like that you know but I, I think that's a fun team to watch i will say i feel bad for one conference and that's Conference USA, which even with 54 teams eliminated, I didn't really consider a Conference USA team for like my revised ballot. So that kind of speaks to where Conference USA has fallen uh, from where it was 15 years ago to what it is now. But I'm sure somebody will sneak up and end up being in the top 25. It's kind of inevitable this year. I, I think so. I think all these conferences, unless you have a, well, unless you have a ton of attrition, Within the conference and, and balance within the conferences, you know, uh, parity, you're liable to get at least one team assert itself. And that team UAB, is, UAB, I maybe I should have voted for them or, or, or put them on my radar, at least they're yeah, experienced. UAB so drew some votes, uh, I think not some, a, a couple of votes within the full pool that the preseason poll, they drew a couple of votes. Um, and we'll be interested to see what those Florida teams do if, if FAU can still get it rolling without Lane. Uh, over there, that'll be interesting as well. But yeah, Conference USA has been in a weird position the last couple of years. It hasn't had that team. You know, again, Lane did a, a good job of sort of drawing some attention and sort of bringing some uh, buzz into that league with, you know, hey, this is a team that might be able to, should be under consideration to possibly, you know, maybe be in a New Year Six game and things along those lines. But they haven't really had a team in the mix yet. Uh, even the Sun Belt now between Appalachian State and now I yeah. think Louisiana, but certainly with App State has that team. I think the other thing, the interesting thing, will be this year. And this is, let, let's get let me ask you this a little bit off the beaten path of the AP poll. If we do have a playoff, and I think we are moving in the direction where if if we have a season, we will have a playoff. And what I mean by that is if the season doesn't come undone from COVID uh, to the point where it just becomes so ragged and and teams just wave the white flag at the end. I think if we can get through a season, I think there there is a lot of motivation to get through a playoff too. That those big games, the playoff games specifically, and maybe even the New York New Year Six games, are such a big deal and such a big platform. Teams will be motivated to play in them. There had been some talk, rumblings behind the scene, that maybe a good idea would be to throw the three G five conferences that are rolling ahead 
throw them a bone and, and guarantee a spot in the New Year's Six for their conference champions. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think they want to open that door. I think sometimes, <laughs> even if it's only temporarily. But it does make me sort of think toward the end of the season here and the way the playoff committee will rank teams. AP voters are more kind to G5 teams, yes. generally speaking. They, they sort of reward the accomplishment. I know you might not be able to beat them head-to-head, but I'm rewarding the 10-1 and yes. team over the 6-5 and five or 7-4 and four team. What do you think the playoff committee will do? Because it will be pretty obvious this year. Like, it will be fairly stark this year if you have a bunch of, like, six and four SEC teams ahead of, like, a 10 and 0, you know, Conference USA right. or Sunbelt team, because that's what we might be heading toward. Well, then the problem for these programs, and we did mention, you know, Louisiana Lafayette gets a crack at Iowa State, but, like, with the elimination of so many non conference games, it's like they're going to be in their own kind of G5 bubble almost, you know, UCF plays at Georgia tech, Mm -hmm. the worst team in the ACC possibly. Uh, So it's, it's still going to be tough to get traction. I think we will see them higher, but you know, between that and the part where I think there's a bunch of good teams at the top of the American that could beat up on themselves on each other a little bit. uh, It's still like, even with two conferences eliminated, it just feels inevitable that we're going to have, if there's a playoff that's operating as normal, it's going to be two SEC teams and ACC team and a Big 12 team, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just seems so predictable. But maybe I'm wrong because I don't know if anything's predictable in this season. Yeah, and then the idea again, and that's not to say that the 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 G5 teams would get a conference would get a pass into the playoff per se, but right. just into those New Year's Six bowls. So let me let me fast forward to you on that. I'll throw that to you. Are you going to be because you're right? The Power Five conferences are mostly going to be playing against each other again like within themselves. So that means that you're not going to be able to sort of build up your record. It's just simple math, right? You're going to start beating up on each other. So the fourth best SEC team might have three or four losses. I don't want you to to commit to anything because you you need to be able to see it before you rank it. But as you start thinking about what that looks like, the idea of rewarding accomplishments or or are you going to end up having like a six and like a like a five and five SEC team at number 15 because they played a tough schedule? Uh, again, I don't want you to commit to anything, but if you give them much thought to what that would look like and how you might go about sorting that out. I have a little bit. And yeah, it's, it's what you just said. It, it is hard to commit to it just because we haven't seen this before. I mean, it's like there is not there haven't been like uncertain polls like this since the 1940s when a bunch of teams didn't play and there were military teams and there were <laughs> pros playing at military teams that were playing college football and all that. And even then there wasn't a preseason poll yet. So this was like an unprecedented situation this year. So we've never, we've never had to vote during a season like this. We've always had to deal with teams playing unequal schedules and some conferences being clearly better than others. And, you know, so part of it isn't unusual. It's just, we, we've never experienced it. And it's like, we're going to have to kind of make it up as we go along. And <laughs> there's, everybody has their own criteria. Everybody, you know, treats it differently. Some people look at advanced stats more than others. Some people rely on the quote unquote, eye test more than others. And my answer is like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, it's going to be a, a very, very interesting exercise. We don't know what, like, we don't even have the common benchmarks of what teams records end up being, you know, you know, SEC teams are going to be, as you said, five and five, and that's going to be the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 
we don't have like historical benchmarks to go off of either. So it's, it's going to be a strange exercise. And as somebody who writes kind of in depth about my ballot every week, uh, there's going to be plenty to try to explain and think through. I at least can, it's almost like I can write my way into it. Cause I have to like deal with trying to make everything fit logically. Cause I actually have to show my work every week. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, plenty of other people do that. I'm not saying other people don't think really in depth about their ballot, but I literally show my work in an article every week. And so I'm going to have to like kind of write out my thought process this year. And I'm sure I'm going to be called out for being inconsistent, but I think that's going to be really, it's already hard, impossible to avoid yeah. in a normal year. And it's going to be really hard to avoid this year. So I'll, this is the last question for you. And uh, again, there's no right or wrong answer here. I believe we, we as the AP, I don't believe, I know this, we are committed to, um, well, two things I want to ask you your opinion on. We are committed to stick, sticking with a top 25 because people had asked us, well, why don't yeah. you, if, if 40% of FBS is gone? And, and I should also note that like we allow voters to vote for FCS teams. Um, it doesn't happen that often, but occasionally North Dakota State will get a vote here or there. And I think App State sort of made us put that down on paper back in 2000. What was that? 2006, six, seven, 2007, when they upset Michigan. So that made us put that down on paper that, yes, you are allowed to vote for FCS teams and occasionally they get sprinkled in there. So regardless, on all the FCS teams or most of them aren't aren't playing either. So most of the teams are gone. So the, the question was, if you if you have far fewer teams, why rank 25 of them? And frankly, I thought it was a fair question, and I gave, we gave it some thought. Ultimately, the decision was made above my head that, listen, we have a brand, frankly. You know, it's right. top 25, so we, we, should, we should rank 25 teams, and it will be a little funky at the end there. Do you think we should still be ranking 25 teams? Um, yeah, I was asked the question, too. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Um, I th- I think it makes sense for consistency's sake. I don't know. I, I everything is this year is going to come with an asterisk already. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is going to understand that this year is different. Um, you know, it's giving me headaches just thinking about like you've pointed out on Twitter. Like people have asked you about streaks and all of that, like the historical markers that we use the AP before. And as somebody who does that more than anybody, it, it does you know, give me a headache just thinking about like how we're going to have to put into context in future years, why this year or how this year applies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it, it's you, you, you explain that the AP is not like stats Inc or like an official statistical service. The job is to rank the teams, rank the best college football teams. So in that regard, that that's what the polls job is. I don't really, I don't have a problem with it. Um, sticking with the 25, it might be more awkward in, if there's a spring winter season, uh, and there's only what 54 teams playing as of now, or not even 54 because some of those teams won't even try to play a spring season. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's another unanswerable question almost. But when, when I saw that it was sticking with 25, I didn't like have a negative reaction. I was fine with it. It's just, it's how the poll has been since 1989. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's a season and our job is just to rank the teams as they are. So it's going to mean a little bit different 
something different this year, but we know that going in. So I'm fine with the consistency of it from year to year. So in the, if the winter, again, the winter and spring, you know, yesterday's column, I decided, you know what, let's just assume this, everything works out great. Like (laughs) we just, it's been a a hard off season to be, to be optimistic, but we're going to just assume that everything just works out great. And what also works out great is a spring winter season. Like this idea that they're going to pull off a spring and winter season. And you know what? We're going to feel, it's going to feel weird and it won't be the same, but ultimately we will look back on it all and we'll be like, wow, we had 10 months of college football. How cool (laughs) is that? Right. Or if it all works out, it could, it could be a interesting, fun year to look back on. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so my point, so I guess my, my last question to you is if there is a season, a spring fall, a spring winter season that looks very, that looks like a season that we feel like is a representative season, uh, the teams play eight to 10 games or, you know, seven to nine games. They're actually suiting up legitimate rosters and things along those lines. We're leaning towards trying to vote that. Now, again, we can't commit to voting for or to asking uh, voters to vote for that because we don't know what it will look like. So to say that we will now would be silly because it it might look like just, uh, you know, glorified spring football. Uh, But if it's not, if it looks like a season, we're thinking about voting for it, voting on it. Are you in? I'm in. Okay. (laughs) Again, I've been ranking college football teams since I was like six. So if there's college football being played, I'm perfectly happy to, it would be wrong. I feel like if there was college football happening and teams weren't be right, weren't being ranked. (laughs) Right. Right. You have to argue about something. And if we have somewhat real football to argue about in February in domes in Detroit or whatever's going to happen in the big 10, I'm there. (laughs) Excellent. So Matt Brown is uh, with the athletic college football editor. He dives into this stuff. He does a great job with his column every week. Behind the polls, right? Behind the ballot. Excuse me. Behind the ballot. Behind the ballot is Matt's uh, column every week. Uh, if you if you don't have a subscri- subscription to the Athletic, it's just, it, it, that alone is enough reason to do it. Uh, he is thorough. He really goes in depth with all of college football. That's why I like to have him on to chat with him. Uh, and he is now a, a resident of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So enjoy m- your move. I hope that becomes a, that's a successful process for you. I hope you get like sl- uh, nicely settled into your new home. Hopefully you'll be able to leave it at some point, <laughs> and yes. uh, and hopefully we both uh, have a chance to enjoy what will be a weird, but again, hopefully enjoyable college football season. Yeah, I moved from somewhere that is not having a season this fall, so I'm still crossing my fingers, hopeful that there will be a football season uh, about a mile and a half up the road for me now here at Bryant-Tenney Stadium. We'll see. Let's hope. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Ralph. Appreciate having me. And now three and out. First down. I referenced the winter football plan that has been floating around the Big Ten that would involve using several dome stadiums in major cities like Indianapolis, Detroit, and Minneapolis, possibly Syracuse, maybe St. Louis, but definitely those three Big Ten footprint cities. You know, it it sounds really cool, frankly. It's a pretty good idea. There would be no or very few fans at these games. 
Uh, you could play multiple games at a site during a weekend, maybe even during a day. It could be structured to maximize the TV viewing windows and access for the TV partners. What I mean by that is Fox could send a crew to Indy and do three games instead of sending multiple crews around the country or broadcasting some games remotely. In talking with a few people in the Big Ten, there is also the thought that having the teams playing in major cities could help with same-day testing that might have been trickier to get done in some college towns. There's also some thought that traveling to bigger cities allows for access to more hotels where teams can better control the bubbles they're trying to maintain around their players. I don't know for sure if any of that stuff makes it better to play in the winter than the fall, but I will say this, if the Big Ten had been ready to roll out that plan, or at least the framework of that plan, at the same time it postponed its season, it would have probably tempered much of the discontentment the league is still dealing with among players and parents and administrators today. The Big Ten could have sold it as not just that, hey, we don't think it's safe to play in the fall, but more of we think this is better than playing in the fall. We think this gives our teams a better chance of having a full season, a full and meaningful season for our players. We think this is a better option. They could have sold it as being proactive and more diligent compared to the other conferences that are simply plowing ahead into the unknown of the fall. Again, I don't know if that would have been actually true, but it might have worked and it might have provided a much better message to send to all of your constituents. Second down, normally I would be critiquing the AP preseason poll as you all do. It's been hard for me, though, to get my head wrapped around where all this is going this season. So I, I feel like it's been harder for me to do a deep dive on the teams. We mentioned that with Matt. But I'll try to throw a tidbit or two at you. Matt and I mentioned Kentucky as a team that both of us thought could have been snubbed in the rankings. I'll give you another one that didn't receive not even a single vote. Pitt. If you listen to this pod, you've heard previous guests sing the praises of the Panthers. Pitt will be without star defensive lineman Jalen Twyman, who has opted out of this season, but they are still pretty loaded up front. They have a veteran quarterback that could provide a boost on an offense that was eh, kind of mediocre last year. I might have been tempted myself to throw a number 25 vote Pitt's way in the preseason poll. Third down, another example of what an odd few months of college football we're about to embark upon. The AP released its preseason All-America team this morning, right before we went taping. And just as with the poll, voters were told they could consider all FBS players, even those who had opted out. The result, 11 members of the first team will not be playing this fall. 12 members of the second team will not be playing this fall. What a year it's going to be, folks. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.